section twenty one of guy mannering this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. recording by dion gines salt lake city utah guy mannering or the astrologer by sir walter scott volume one chapter eighteen talk with a man out of a window a proper saying much ado about nothing we must proceed with our extracts from miss mannering's letters which throw light upon natural good sense principle and feelings blemished by an imperfect education and the folly of a misjudging mother who called her husband in her heart a tyrant until she feared him as such and read romances until she became so enamoured of the complicated intrigues which they contain as to assume the management of a little family novel of her own and constitute her daughter a girl of sixteen the principal heroine she delighted in petty mystery and intrigue and secrets and yet trembled at the indignation which these paltry manoeuvres excited in her husband's mind thus she frequently entered upon a scheme merely for pleasure or perhaps for the love of contradiction plunged deeper into it than she was aware endeavoured to extricate herself by new arts or to cover her error by dissimulation became involved in meshes of her own weaving and was forced to carry on for fear of discovery machinations which she had at first resorted to in mere wantonness fortunately the young man whom she so imprudently introduced into her intimate society and encouraged to look up to her daughter had a fund of principle and honest pride which rendered him a safer intimate than mrs mannering ought to have dared to hope or expect the obscurity of his birth could alone be objected to him in every other respect with prospects bright upon the world he came pure love of virtue strong desire of fame men watched the way his lofty mind would take and all foretold the progress he would make but it could not be expected that he should resist the snare which mrs mannering's imprudence threw in his way or avoid becoming attached to a young lady whose beauty and manners might have justified his passion even in scenes where these were more generally met with than in a remote fortress in our indian settlements the scenes which followed have been partly detailed in mannering's letter to mr mervyn and to expand what is there stated into farther explanation would be to abuse the patience of our readers we shall therefore proceed with our promised extracts from miss mannering's letters to her friend sixth extract i have seen him again matilda seen him twice i have used every argument to convince him that this secret intercourse is dangerous to us both i even pressed him to pursue his views of fortune without farther regard to me 
and to consider my peace of mind as sufficiently secured by the knowledge that he had not fallen under my father's sword he answers but how can i detail all he has to answer he claims those hopes as his due which my mother permitted him to entertain and would persuade me to the madness of a union without my father's sanction but to this matilda i will not be persuaded i have resisted i have subdued the rebellious feelings which arose to aid his plea yet how to extricate myself from this unhappy labyrinth in which fate and folly have entangled us both i have thought upon it matilda till my head is almost giddy nor can i conceive a better plan than to make a full confession to my father he deserves it for his kindness is unceasing and i think i have observed in his character since i have studied it more nearly that his harsher feelings are chiefly excited where he suspects deceit or imposition and in that respect perhaps his character was formerly misunderstood by one who was dear to him he has too a tinge of romance in his disposition and i have seen the narrative of a generous action a trait of heroism or virtuous self-denial extract tears from him which refused to flow at a tale of mere distress but then brown urges that he is personally hostile to him and the obscurity of his birth that would be indeed a stumbling-block oh matilda i hope none of your ancestors ever fought at poitiers or agincourt if it were not for the veneration which my father attaches to the memory of old sir miles mannering i should make out my explanation with half the tremor which must now attend it seventh extract i have this instant received your letter your most welcome letter thanks my dearest friend for your sympathy and your counsels i can only repay them with unbounded confidence you ask me what brown is by origin that his descent should be so unpleasing to my father his story is shortly told he is of scottish extraction but being left an orphan his education was undertaken by a family of relations settled in holland he was bred to commerce and sent very early to one of our settlements in the east where his guardian had a correspondent but this correspondent was dead when he arrived in india and he had no other resource than to offer himself as a clerk to a counting-house the breaking out of the war and the straits to which we were at first reduced through the army open to all young men who were disposed to embrace that mode of life and brown whose genius had a strong military tendency was the first to leave what might have been the road to wealth and to choose that of fame the rest of his history is well known to you but conceive the irritation of my father who despises commerce though by the way the best part of his property was made in that honourable profession by my great-uncle and has a particular antipathy to the dutch 
think with what ear he would be likely to receive proposals for his only child from van beest brown educated for charity by the house of van beest and van bruggen oh matilda it will never do nay so childish am i i hardly can help sympathizing with his aristocratic feelings mrs van beest brown the name has little to recommend it to be sure what children we are eighth extract it is all over now matilda i shall never have courage to tell my father nay most deeply do i fear he has already learned my secret from another quarter which will entirely remove the grace of my communication and ruin whatever gleam of hope i had ventured to connect with it yesternight brown came as usual and his flageolet on the lake announced his approach we had agreed that he should continue to use this signal these romantic lakes attract numerous visitors who indulge their enthusiasm in visiting the scenery at all hours and we hoped that if brown were noticed from the house he might pass for one of those admirers of nature who was giving vent to his feelings through the medium of music the sounds might also be my apology should i be observed on the balcony but last night while i was eagerly enforcing my plan of a full confession to my father which he as earnestly deprecated we heard the window of mr mervyn's library which is under my room open softly i signed to brown to make his retreat and immediately re-entered with some faint hopes that our interview had not been observed but alas matilda these hopes vanished the instant i beheld mr mervyn's countenance at breakfast the next morning he looked so provokingly intelligent and confidential that had i dared i would have been more angry than ever i was in my life but i must be on good behaviour and my walks are now limited within his farm precincts where the good gentleman can amble along by my side without inconvenience i have detected him once or twice attempting to sound my thoughts and watch the expression of my countenance he has talked of the flageolet more than once and has at different times made eulogiums upon the watchfulness and ferocity of his dogs and the regularity with which the keeper makes his rounds with a loaded fowling-piece he mentioned even man-traps and spring-guns i should be loath to affront my father's old friend in his own house but i do long to show him that i am my father's daughter a fact of which mr mervyn will certainly be convinced if ever i trust my voice and temper with a reply to these indirect hints of one thing i am certain i am grateful to him on that account he has not told mrs mervyn lord help me i should have had such lectures about the dangers of love and the night air on the lake the risk arising from coals and fortune-hunters the comfort and convenience of sackway and closed windows i cannot help trifling matilda though my heart is sad enough 
what brown will do i cannot guess i presume however the fear of detection prevents his resuming his nocturnal visits he lodges at an inn on the opposite shore of the lake under the name he tells me of dawson he has a bad choice in names that must be allowed he has not left the army i believe but he says nothing of his present views to complete my anxiety my father is returned suddenly and in high displeasure our good hostess as i learned from a bustling conversation between her housekeeper and her had no expectation of seeing him for a week but i rather suspect his arrival was no surprise to his friend mr mervyn his manner to me was singularly cold and constrained sufficiently so to have damped all the courage with which i once resolved to throw myself on his generosity he lays the blame of his being discomposed and out of humour to the loss of a purchase in the south-west of scotland on which he had set his heart but i do not suspect his equanimity of being so easily thrown off its balance his first excursion was with mr mervyn's barge across the lake to the inn i have mentioned you may imagine the agony with which i waited his return had he recognised brown who can guess the consequence he returned however apparently without having made any discovery i understand that in consequence of his late disappointment he means now to hire a house in the neighbourhood of this same ellangowan of which i am doomed to hear so much he seems to think it probable that the estate for which he wishes may soon be again in the market i will not send away this letter until i hear more distinctly what are his intentions i have now had an interview with my father as confidential as i presume he means to allow me he requested me to-day after breakfast to walk with him into the library my knees matilda shook under me and it is no exaggeration to say i could scarce follow him into the room i feared i knew not what from my childhood i had seen all around him tremble at his frown he motioned me to seat myself and i never obeyed a command so readily for in truth i could hardly stand he himself continued to walk up and down the room you have seen my father and noticed i recollect the remarkably expressive cast of his features his eyes are naturally rather light in colour but agitation or anger gives them a darker and more fiery glance he has a custom also of drawing in his lips when much moved which implies a combat between native ardour of temper and the habitual power of self-command this was the first time we had been alone since his return from scotland and as he betrayed these tokens of agitation i had little doubt that he was about to enter upon the subject i most dreaded to my unutterable relief i found i was mistaken and that whatever he knew of mr mervyn's suspicions or discoveries he did not intend to converse with me on the topic coward as i was i was inexpressibly relieved though if he had really investigated the reports which may have come to his ear the reality could have been nothing to what his suspicions might have conceived 
but though my spirits rose high at my unexpected escape i had not courage myself to provoke the discussion and remained silent to receive his commands julia he said my agent writes me from scotland that he has been able to hire a house for me decently furnished and with the necessary accommodation for my family it is within three miles of that i had designed to purchase then he made a pause and seemed to expect an answer whatever place of residence suits you sir must be perfectly agreeable to me hump i do not propose however julia that you shall reside quite alone in this house during the winter mr and mrs mervyn thought i to myself whatever company is agreeable to you sir i answered aloud oh there is a little too much of this universal spirit of submission an excellent disposition in action but your constantly repeating the jargon of it puts me in mind of the eternal salaams of our black dependents in the east in short julia i know you have a relish for society and i intend to invite a young person the daughter of a deceased friend to spend a few months with us not a governess for the love of heaven papa exclaimed poor i my fears at that moment totally getting the better of my prudence no not a governess miss mannering replied the colonel somewhat sternly but a young lady from whose excellent example bred as she has been in the school of adversity i trust you may learn the art to govern yourself to answer this was trenching upon too dangerous ground so there was a pause is the young lady a scotchwoman papa yes dryly enough has she much of the accent sir much of the devil answered my father hastily do you think i care about a's and ah's and i's and e's i tell you julia i am serious in the matter you have a genius for friendship that is for running up intimacies which you call such was not this very harshly said matilda now i wish to give you an opportunity at least to make one deserving friend and therefore i have resolved that this young lady shall be a member of my family for some months and i expect you will pay to her that attention which is due to misfortune and virtue certainly sir is my future friend red-haired he gave me one of his stern glances you will say perhaps i deserved it but i think the deuce prompts me with teasing questions on some occasions she is as superior to you my love in personal appearance as in prudence and affection for her friends lord papa do you think that superiority a recommendation well sir but i see you are going to take all this too seriously whatever the young lady may be i am sure being recommended by you she shall have no reason to complain of my want of attention after a pause has she any attendant because you know i must provide for her proper accommodation if she is without one no no not properly an attendant the chaplain who lived with her father is a very good sort of man and i believe i shall make room for him in the house chaplain papa lord bless us yes miss mannering chaplain 
is there anything very new in that word had we not a chaplain at the residence when we were in india yes papa but you were a commandant then so i will be now miss mannering in my own family at least certainly sir but will he read us the church of england service the apparent simplicity with which i asked this question got the better of his gravity come julia he said you are a sad girl but i gain nothing by scolding you of these two strangers the young lady is one whom you cannot fail i think to love the person whom for want of a better term i call chaplain is a very worthy and somewhat ridiculous personage who will never find out you laugh at him if you don't laugh very loud indeed dear papa i am delighted with that part of his character but pray is the house we are going to as pleasantly situated as this not perhaps as much to your taste there is no lake under the windows and you will be under the necessity of having all your music within doors this last coup de main ended the keen encounter of our wits for you may believe matilda it quelled all my courage to reply yet my spirits as perhaps will appear too manifest from this dialogue have risen insensibly and as it were in spite of myself brown alive and free and in england embarrassment and anxiety i can and must endure we leave this in two days for our new residence i shall not fail to let you know what i think of these scotch inmates whom i have but too much reason to believe my father means to quarter in his house as a brace of honourable spies a sort of female rosencrantz and reverend guildenstern one in tartan petticoats the other in a cassock what a contrast to the society i would willingly have secured to myself i shall write instantly on my arriving at our new place of abode and acquaint my dearest matilda with the farther fates of her julia mannering End of volume one chapter eighteen